Hey, thank you for listening to the City Life Church podcast. We are leading people to become fully alive in Jesus. We are a church in San Francisco, and we are praying that this word will encourage you, challenge you, and help you grow in your faith journey. Hey, here's the key text for this series. It's found in Amos in the Old Testament, the prophet Amos. God would speak through him. And this is what it says in Amos 3, verse 7. It says, indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Another verse says, God does nothing except through his servants, the prophets. Now, God doesn't need permission to do anything at all. But he invites you and I to partner with him. He includes us in what he wants to accomplish. Someone say partnership. It's all about partnering. God chooses. He invites us. He includes us in extending his kingdom and flowing his goodness in and through our lives to those around us. So prophetic people means that we are in a partnership with God Almighty and he wants to flow in and through us. That's his heart. That's his desire. God could do everything by himself. God has no limitations, no borders, no boundaries. He is infinite. He transcends all things. And yet in the heart of the father that he is, he wants his sons and daughters, his children, to be a part of what he is doing. So that's the privilege of being prophetic people. Now today I want to bring you to the New Testament. We're going to camp out on two primary texts. One is found in Luke and then the other in Mark. If you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, basically it's a 360 of the life, the ministry, and the miracles of Jesus. When you read the, the, the Gospel of Matthew, and then Mark, Luke, and John, they're writings that communicate the teachings of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the message, right? The miracles that are recorded. And each one has a unique style. Each gospel has a unique flavor and expression. They're not necessarily written in chronological order. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to camp on these two texts because they tell of a specific story, specifically of a specific attitude that I could, I would hope that the Holy Spirit would just kind of nudge us and challenge us in today. In this case, an attitude that we should not have, okay? That's the disclaimer. So before I jump into Luke chapter 4, the reminder here, if you're kind of new to this journey, maybe new to the Bible, Jesus had just been water baptized and a voice from heaven, from the Father says, this is my son, I love this guy, and him, I'm well pleased. And it says that the Spirit of God came and rested upon Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. It's as though Jesus had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and power came and rested upon him. Then it's, it, the, the, the next chapter says that he was led by the Holy Spirit to the desert, to the wilderness, to be tested. And he fasted for 40 days. And in that time, at the end, the devil came to test him. And it says, hey, if you, if you really are who that voice says that you are, the Son of God, then why don't you turn these rocks, these stones into bread? If you really are that, and Jesus, instead of engaging in any conversation, Jesus addressed the devil straight up from the word. It says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a strategy right there. When the enemy is bombarding your mind and your heart, don't try to reason with him. Don't try to remind him of the good things that you've done or how many times you've been to church or how many outreaches that you've been a part of or how much money you gave away. That doesn't impress the devil. As you're, as you're, as you're talking and, and, and actually battling the enemy, bring the word. 
Declare the word of God. Speak the word of God. That's why it's so important for us to spend time in the B-I-B-L-E. Come on, somebody. That's why it's important for us to give ourselves to the, to the word of God, the living word, that I might become alive in us. The psalmist said it like this. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. As the word becomes embedded in us, then when the enemy comes to play those crazy games in our minds, you can actually speak the word of God. At times when your heart is a bit overwhelmed, maybe a little troubled, as you're praying, the Holy Spirit will quicken a verse or quicken a passage in your spirit. And then you, be, you just begin to pray the word of God. It's powerful, right? That's the context here for Jesus. After those 40 days, three different times, the enemy tried to test him, and he three times declared the word of God. And then it says that he left that place, and then he began to travel through Galilee and that entire region, preaching and teaching and performing miracles. And that's where we pick up in our story today. So Luke chapter four says this, then verse 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region and he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free and, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then it says, he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and he sat down. Now what's unique about this passage is in their Jewish traditions, all the synagogues were on the same reading plan. So if you have a Bible devotional, maybe you're following like a, a Bible, a daily, a daily devotional every day, checking in or whatever. This would have been the reading that all the different synagogues throughout would be partaking in on that given day. But the unique thing is that the living word, Jesus himself, was now reading the word and as he read, it says again, the spirit of God in power rested upon him. And as he's reading the word of God with that anointing, he's declaring the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Literally, it is upon Jesus. He sits down and he turns a scroll, rolls it up, gives it to that attendant that day. And all eyes, the Bible says, and all eyes in the synagogue, they locked in at him intently. Because this was not like the previous Saturday or the previous readings. There was something different about this service. There was an anointing that they began to experience that rested upon him. And wherever he would go, the anointing on him, the atmosphere on him, would influence the space that he would walk into. Are you with me so far? So for a few moments, their eyes are locked in intently. They're staring at him. And then he began to speak to them and he says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Seven, 700 years prior, it had been declared through the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus says, this is the fulfillment of that. And everyone spoke well of him. They had a God moment. They experienced a little something, something. They felt, I refer to this as the anointing in the room. Hopefully, as you come to this gathering and you're watching online, more than just information, hopefully you're feeling and experiencing something that goes more than just intellect. 
hopefully in, in prayer gatherings, in small groups, in our life groups, in outreaches, in youth ministry, when we come together as the ecclesia, the people of God, hopefully you're sensing something that's called the anointing upon the anointed. You've been anointed by God. The spirit of God rests upon you. It rests upon us. And they were experiencing this. And it says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed. Someone say amazed. They were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. And then the question, how can this be? No. How can this be? They asked, isn't this Joseph's son? What the? <laughs> they had this moment. They felt something. They, they heard something. And then like, but wait a minute. How is this even possible? This is how Luke would record it, but let me, let me continue this story, but bring it into Mark. I want you to hear from the Gospel of Mark how Mark begins to unpack this, this, this event. Mark chapter 6, verse 2 says, And many who heard him, they were amazed. And they asked, Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then, watch this, then they scoffed. Another way of saying this, they ridiculed him. They mocked him. They dismissed what he had just said. They scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters, they live right here among us. Who does he think he is? He's part of like this community. He went to Balboa High. Come on, somebody. What is going on? Shout out to Bow because there's great things going on there. Come on, somebody. But sometimes we don't recognize. Games should recognize games. Sometimes we don't recognize what God does, what he's doing, and how he uses unlikely characters. God will select somebody. Maybe you're it. Maybe you're that one person where God's like, no one saw it coming, but look at that girl. She's anointed. She comes into a space, and she's got something to say, and there's power and authority in her words. Ha. <laughs> I'm getting all preachy, Pastor Keys. This isn't even the meat of the message quite yet. They dismissed him. It says that they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Oh, heck no. Nah. Who does he think he is? We're expecting something or someone else. Amazing how oftentimes we dismiss what God is doing because we've put the package in a different kind of way. We expected God to show up in, on our terms and in our ways, and yet God seldom fits those packages. Come on, somebody. God is the God of surprises, and he uses unlikely characters. So they were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. By the way, that was a proverb that wasn't original with Jesus. He wasn't the first one to quote that. It was known amongst them. So he's using cultural language that they're familiar with. He's like, man, a prophet is, is welcomed and honored everywhere except in his own hometown. They are already offended. They're already like, you know, discouraged. And he uses this incorrect context. And it says, and, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and to heal them. How can this possibly be? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon Jesus. Jesus was not just a teacher. Jesus was not just a, a good leader. He wasn't just a good philosopher. He wasn't just a, 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 a miracle-making individual. He was actually not just the son of God. Jesus is God. 
But how could it be that Jesus, who is God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, how could Jesus go into a space and a place fully anointed and then all of a sudden be restricted and limited in the outflow of the miraculous? How could that be? Someone say, it's an attitude. It's all about an attitude. Because they dismissed the anointing upon him because of the wrong attitude. And he was limited. And that's the unique thing about about life and ministry is that there is a partnership in the same way that God invites us to partner with him as we go into certain spaces. If there's not a proactive willingness to, to partner with God, instead of the river flowing, it's more of a trickle that flows. And Jesus, who has no limitations, all of a sudden he finds him, but out of mercy and compassion, he still went on ahead and laid hands on several of the sick people and they were still healed. But there could have been much more experience had the people just said, wow, God has been so good. He sent, and he's using one of us. This is amazing. And instead of embracing what God was doing, they dismissed it. They were offended. That's the root of pride. And then to conclude this little passage, it says, and he was amazed at their unbelief. And Jesus like, what? He was amazed at their unbelief. If you continue to read that portion of scripture, and I'm not going to unpack that, they got so irritated, so frustrated with him that they drove him to the edge of the town and they wanted to push him off the cliff to kill one of their own. They were so uh, offended by his words and his actions. He managed to sneak away, obviously, because it wasn't his time. That's the wrong kind of attitude right there. The Bible records two instances that Jesus was actually impressed. He, the Bible says that he was amazed. There's only two times that it's recorded in the Gospels that Jesus was amazed with something or someone. When he goes into this one village, there's this centurion, this Roman centurion who was, he was a man of authority and he had a servant that was sick and he was about to die, but he had heard of Jesus and he believed. So he goes and he talks to the teacher, Jesus, and he says, my servant, this is the situation. Jesus is like, all right, let's, let's, let's go over to your house then. And he's like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to bother you. Just send your word, speak your word, and I know he'll be healed. And Jesus is like, dang, bro. <laughs> Whoa, and the Bible actually re records it. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a Roman. He's like, I haven't seen. It says, Jesus was amazed at his faith. He says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Christina, it was mind-blowing. He hadn't seen that anywhere, but he saw it with the centurion. But then the other time that it's recorded that he was amazed was when he sees the unbelief of this community. He was dumbfounded. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Only two times it's recorded. Someone say it's about an attitude. Attitude. Now, we all deal with the wrong attitudes from, some, from time to time, right? Maybe you're sitting next to somebody right now that got bad breath and an attitude. Just forgive them in Jesus' name. <laughs> Here's Jesus. Again, he's traveling from place to place. He had just gone to the other side of this lake and he, he, he set this man free who had a legion of demons. And then he travels back and he, he heals this woman who had had a, a bleeding condition for 12 years. And then he runs over and he heals this one girl. Well, she actually had died. He brings her back to life. And he's going from place to place, showing the heart of God and revealing the heart of God. And it was backed with the anointing and the authority of the declared word of God over his life. And people believed because they saw and they experienced. And yet, 
in this place, he was limited in what he could do. Atmosphere. What kind of atmosphere do we create for the Holy Spirit in our lives? What kind of atmosphere do we create in our home? Maybe you come to church and you feel a little pick me up and like, woo, okay. I'm going to see a miracle. That's not even the song. I make up my own lyrics. <laughs> What's the atmosphere that you create? Is there room for the Holy Spirit to continue to flow? And what's the attitude, the condition of our hearts where we can experience God in one moment and then be discouraged and lack faith in another moment? Don't raise your hand. I'll raise my own. It happens to all of us. Jesus here, he's, he's experiencing something that is just so disappointing, so frustrating to the point where he was amazed by this. So let's talk about these wrong attitudes. The folks from Nazareth, three things that jumped out to me from this passage. Number one, they had Jesus there. They had the anointed one of God. They were experiencing an anointed service. But because of the wrong attitude, the wrong approach, they dismissed him and they missed out on the blessing that was available. How many times does God want to do something supernatural in our lives, but we dismiss it because it doesn't fit our box? It doesn't fit our schedule. It's a bit inconvenient. I could preach on that for a minute. I'll, let me move on. The second thing, they says that they were offended by Jesus. How dare you, bro? Who do you think you are? Like, man, we've been way more religious than you. We've been coming to this synagogue for a long time. You're just a kid up in here. You got little, little siblings running around. Like, who do you think you are trying to tell us or whatever? And then the audacity to say, ooh, that prophecy that we've been reading about for a long time, you're fulfilling it. Who do you think you are? Amazing how quickly we shut people down. There's a story about a crab bucket. Maybe you've heard this one before where fishermen will go and they'll collect crabs and they'll bring them in from the cages, the bottom of the ocean, whatever. And they'll throw them in a, in a bucket and those, bu those buckets don't even need a lid. And they start adding different crabs into the bucket and then it starts climbing. And pretty soon, like, aren't you, sir, aren't you concerned that some of these, they're almost at the top. Aren't you concerned that some of these crabs are going to crawl out of the bucket and you're going to lose them? No, no, don't worry. They, they'll take care of themselves. Just as one little crab feels the audacity to crawl out, like, I don't want to be captive like this. And he tries to crawl over the bucket. Some other little crab reaches over and pulls them back in. That's the condition of so many Christians. Where God begins to do something bodacious, something crazy, something different, out of the box, out of the ordinary, but we think less of other people, so we bring them back to ground zero. That's not the abundant life. Many times I think that we've missed opportunities that God is doing around us because we've chosen to be offended rather than choose to partner with him. Number three, they, they, they were offended and then they refused, straight up refused. Oh, heck no. Nah. They refused to believe Jesus' words. The Bible says and refers to this passage, because of their lack of faith, Jesus couldn't do much. They refused. It's intentional. Sometimes we miss out on the things of God because we're distracted and it may not be intentional. Sometimes we're just like, ah. But sometimes we straight up reject it. Can I encourage us? Let's, let's surrender our attitudes to God and say, Lord, whatever it is that you want to adjust in us, Lord, we don't want to cop an attitude. We don't want to have the wrong one. Lord, we want to be surrendered and submitted. Whatever it is that you want to do, we're willing. We trust you, God. Why is it? Here's a question I, I was pondering and thinking. Why is it that, that we struggle with faith? And I think all of us could raise our hands. From time to time, we all struggle with faith. Right? Like, man, 
And the enemy bombards, oh, you lack faith, you're such a loser. And, or maybe that's just me. <laughs> but the enemy throws these darts into our minds and hearts. Why is it that people struggle with faith? Let me give you a few ideas that I just jotted down. These are mine. It's, there's probably many others. But I think distractions are one of them. We get distracted and so consumed with everything else that's going on in our world. Oh, my gosh. Dun, 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 dun. Fantasy football is coming. I got to prepare for the draft. Pastor Key's like, ah. We get so distracted with everything else that's going on that all of a sudden our faith begins to drift a little bit. How many of you know that faith grows, but faith also leaks? That's why Jesus could talk to some of his disciples. <laughs> Come on, bro, a minute ago you had great faith. And then he would address the boys in the boat. Oh, you of little faith. What happened to your faith? Faith can leak. Here's another one, disappointments. Sometimes we, we experience things and we, we know God, we love God. We've seen things with our own natural eyes but we experience something that is just so frustrating, we become disappointed. And then all of a sudden with that, it's like, man, our heart is grieved and our faith continues to leak. Here's another one, sometimes straight up ignorance. We just don't know any better. We don't know that and we need to continue to pursue God. We experience God at different points, but out of just our lack of just understanding, out of our own ignorance, faith leaks out. How about indifference? Sometimes we just don't care. Man, I love Jesus. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I got my ticket to heaven, my passport, my visa to the presence of God. It's been stamped by the blood of the lamb. By the way, that doesn't exist in the word, just an analogy. And we're content by being saved, but he's not Lord. So we're, we're saved from death. We're saved from hell. We're saved from sins. And yet he's not the Lord of our lives. And we become indifferent towards pursuing him right now. Even in the context of what our church is doing, we're fasting and, and there's different benefits and different reasons why we fast. Our church is doing a seven day fast. I've asked our church, take at least one day. If you're a member of this house, if this is your home church, take one day during the seven day stretch and water only, unless there's a health condition where you can't, we understand. But if you can, just water only. Let's fast and let's see, let's see God. And oftentimes we can almost use that in, in the way it's communicated. It could almost come across manipulative as though like, oh, wow, if I fast, then God's going to have to do these different things. It's not what a fast is about. When we fast, what we're doing is we're preparing our own hearts and our own minds, our own spirit. We are detoxing the inner man, so to speak, so we can hear clearly the prodding, the nudging of the Holy Spirit in our lives, whether he's given us thoughts pictures speaking to us we fast and it's not so we can get something out of it but it's so that we can be prepared to encounter him that's why we're doing what we're doing we're believing that through a fast even this weekend as we go into this prophetic summit that God is going to speak clearly that he's going to impart something powerfully that he's going to shift some things there's going to be some transformations there are going to be some things that are going to happen in our personal lives and our families but also in our community that will change the trajectory of our lives for the better. Why? Because we've postured ourselves and we've had an attitude change. So sometimes we become calloused or indifferent and that's why we lose faith. Sometimes straight up laziness. We're just lazy. We love Jesus, but like, ah, we ain't gonna put, up, put, in, put in the work, if I can speak English now. <laughs> sometimes we're hurt. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's deception. The enemy's working and playing with our minds. Sometimes our hearts have become hardened and we're not making space or creating margin for the Holy Spirit to move. Sometimes people straight up walk with a religious spirit. If there's one thing that just got on Jesus' nerves, it was religious spirits. 
You had, for instance, several times Jesus rebuking the Pharisees. They knew the Bible. They knew the law. They could quote it word for word, but their hearts were not in alignment with the heart of God. So they were following the letter of the law, but missing the heart behind it. And time and time again, Jesus would rebuke them and rebuke the religious spirits that were, that were harassing them, so to speak. My wife and I, we've had the privilege of traveling to many different places to minister and some places we go and there's such a hunger, such a passion for God. I remember going in 1999 and taking a, a team, just as Pastor David and Aaron took a team to Cuba a couple of weeks ago, Elaine and I, we took a, a team of about 25 youth to the Philippines and we left a piece of our hearts in the Philippines. Those people where we went, a lot of the villages and places that we went, they, they, they lived in such humble settings. The, the one place that we stayed at, this, the pastor's house, his little house was more of a hut. There was no floor. We're sleeping on, on the dirt. And yet they were giving their best. Why? Because they had a, a heart for God. They had a heart for God's people. And man, talk about having church services, long services, four times a day services. Man, these people were so hungry for the power of God. And what would happen is everywhere we would go, and Filipinos, if, and we have a lot of Filipinos up in here. Come on, somebody. We love you all. You know what I'm talking about. It's the heart is invested. Everywhere we go, man, God would show up because there was such a, a drive and a desire for the presence of God. An open heart for the things of God. And we would go and everywhere, man, the anointing was so strong. We'd open the Bible, start preaching like, whoo, power of God would be released because there was expectancy. There was hunger. There was desperation. And we saw miraculous things happen because people created that atmosphere. But then my wife and I, we've also gone into some spaces where these churches had been established for a long time. They had incredible sound equipment. They would put us up at these five-star hotels. And we walk into the service to be used by God to be a ministry to the church to encourage people for the prophetic to flow. And all of, us, all of a sudden, it's like cotton balls in the mouth. <laughs> Like we're trying to minister, but there's no flow. There's this callousness, this indifference in the audience, a lack of hunger for the presence of God. They've got the bells and whistles. They've got the lights, yet no hunger. They got the wrong atmosphere. And in some of those places, you could sense and feel a spirit, the spirit of religion setting on people. Who do these people think they are coming in here trying to tell us something? Still in our earlier service that when we found our, our building on 6th Street, when we started City Life Church, and some of you go way back, 10, 11 years, when we found the building, finally, the one that God would allow us to use for about five years. We had tried everywhere, y'all. We had looked at all kinds of different spaces. When we finally walked into this warehouse on 6th Street, come on, somebody, about a block away from the end up, we walk in, it's like, what is this joint? They had been like a, an adult entertainment porn studio kind of a place. They would do these live shows and they had all kinds of weird props and crazy stuff everywhere. <laughs> we walked in, we're like, wow. And I remember telling my wife, even though all kinds of nasty stuff had happened in that place and we brought prayer warriors and intercessors and we prayed some dark, heavy stuff out. But in some ways it was more free in that place than a lot of churches that we'd been to. Why? Why? Because of the wrong attitude. 
that have the form of godliness, churches that have a religious spirit where there's no openness, no freedom. They talk about Jesus, but Jesus isn't welcomed in their space. They talk about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit hasn't been around for about two decades. Just because you have the benches, the steeple, and the pews, and the, and the hymnals, and the music, and all that, if the Holy Spirit isn't honored, and there's not an attitude of hunger and openness to him, you might have the look and the form of godliness, but you're denying the power. And I would rather hang out with a bunch of people that have all kinds of crazy issues that make mistakes but are hungry. We can work with that than people that are all put together. That's what Jesus was saying. Some would say it's about an attitude. It's all about the attitude. The last thought that I jotted down, why is it that people drift from faith and lack faith? Well, straight up, they're not in the word. Now, I'm not talking about y'all because I know you all are in the word every day. I'm so proud of you. You're amazing. Those of you watching online, you've got the Bible right there. There's a little tab. You can just click. I see it. There it is. <laughs> but the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing in the word of God. As we spend time in the word of God, it becomes embedded in who we are. That's why the psalmist would say, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. As the word of God is alive in us, as Jesus, he, he overcame, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the devil when he was being tested and tempted, Jesus overcame because he knew the word of God. We should know the word of God. The word of God, Hebrew says it's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts. It should be cutting us. The word of God should be embedded in us. As we give ourselves to the word of God, faith should be stirred. Faith should be built up. Maybe you haven't been like faithfully reading the word of God and you can't go back in time. Praise God for today. Today is a new day. His mercies are new today. Today we can start a brand new reading streak. Come on, somebody. Where you open your old school Bible or your U version Bible. It don't matter, but you go into the word of God and say, God, better than soul food. I want spirit food today. Speak to me through your word. Come on, somebody. Faith comes, it comes, it comes. Hebrews 11, 1, it says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is the cornerstone verse describing what faith is. There's all kinds of theological arguments, and I'm not going to unpack that in this setting, but I love what this, this unknown writer communicated. I read this, and I'm like, wow, this is a profound thought. He says, the main reason that we struggle with faith is that we don't truly know the God in whom we profess to have faith in. We just don't, the reason that we struggle understanding faith is that we're not spending time just talking to the God that we refer to all the time. So the invitation to prophetic people is know the heart of God, hear the heart of God, explore and understand the mind of God. The more time you spend in his presence, the more he reveals who he is. So I was going to say we can tweet this, but I don't know what we do with Twitter now because it's X. So do we tweet that? What do we do? Hashtag call to prayer. Hashtag call to fast. Hashtag called to read. It's time for us to spend time in the word of God, whether you're reading it or listening to it, allow the word to be deeply embedded in our hearts. That'll stir faith. It's going to grow us. So there's the wrong attitude and then there's the right attitude. The wrong attitude is when we dismiss out of pride, out of indifference, out of fear, all these different reasons. But then there is a proper attitude that we should have. As I was pondering on this and thinking, Lord, what kind of attitude are you asking of me? What kind of attitude should we have? Lord, we know, we know your stories, God. We've read the Bible. We, we've been inspired and we've seen different things here and there. But what kind of an attitude are you asking of us? I jotted these four and I personalized it for me. And if you have those notes on your devices, you can read it later. But these are the four thoughts. 
and they kind of expand. I, I, the Lord began to speak these thoughts to me, so I wrote it like this. I believe that God actually speaks. I believe he speaks. Some people have, a, have some trouble understanding that God actually continues to speak. He hasn't just kind of like birthed the church and seduces, we out of here, go figure it out. He sent the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he continues to speak to us today. God, God speaks. You can fill in the blank with other things. God heals. God delivers. God saves. God breaks through. God restores. God reconciles. God does miraculous things. But I believe that God speaks. But not only that, Number two, I believe that God wants to speak. So not only can he speak, but I believe he actually wants to speak to me. He wants to speak to us. I don't have to twist his arm. I don't have to convince him. I don't have to fast seven days in order. Okay, God says, all right, you got my attention now. You fasted straight up. You wanted to blend the number one from Taco Bell and turn it into a little smoothie. But nevertheless, you got my attention. Woo, I'm amazed. God actually wants to speak to us. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to empower us. He wants to include us. It's his desire. Why? Because that's a desire of a good father. He wants his children to know him, to hear him, to experience him. But not only that, I believe that God wants to speak to me. You might actually be convinced that God wants to speak to people, but maybe you haven't had that experience and you think, oh, he only speaks to Pastor David. He only speaks to, to Pastor Elena or our online campus pastor. He only speaks to Pastor Lamia. No, God actually wants to speak to you. Whether he speaks to you in Espanol or Tagalog or Francais or Japanese, whatever the language would be, God wants to speak to you. He desires, he wants to speak to you personally. But not only that, here's the fourth thought. I believe that God not only wants to speak, but he will speak to me. Someone say this, God speak to me. Say, 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 God speak to me. Like Samuel in the Old Testament, God speak to me. Your servant is listening. God, I believe you want to speak to me. I believe that you will speak to me. God, I'm making room. I'm not going to have an indifferent heart. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to delay what you desire to do. I'm not going to be like those people that dismissed Jesus and were offended by him. God, I'm, I'm just going to make myself available. God, I believe you want to speak to me. So here I am. Speak to me, Lord. Your servant is listening. That should be our posture. That should be our attitude. See, there's a tendency for some of us to only cry out to God when we're in trouble. <laughs> I remember as a, as a young teenager, I was working for our church at the time. I mean, I've been working for a church for a long time, y'all. But I was working for our church down in Brazil. Back then, the, the job position was called office boy. <laughs> the office boy. That means that I ran all the errands. You know what I'm saying? And back before we had online bill pay, I actually had to physically go and take checks to the different vendors or go to the post office or do. And then I remember like at times, I remember like taking like a bank deposit I don't know what those folks, my dad, were thinking. Dad, I love you. Love you. I, I don't know what they were, the staff was thinking. Dad, I love you. Um, but they would send like a 13-year-old with my little backpack and the offering, tithes and offerings deposit for that weekend. They would send it with me to the bank. 
And I remember back in the day, it's like, dude, you take public transportation and I'm walking. I'd have to walk. I'd walk like, I don't know, eight to 10 miles a day. Like, that's what it felt like anyways. (laughs) I remember taking this and the the rule of thumb was, and it was a large city, the city of Curitiba in Brazil, millions of people, lots of people. And I was told never take the same route to the bank. Always take a different route every day. I remember this one time I'm going to the bank and I'm taking this different route and I go through this alley and all of a sudden these dudes step in front. I'm like, oh, this could be a problem. (laughs) Prophetically, I I don't know if I should say this here. Let me just say that I packed the deposit not in the backpack and not in the pocket. (laughs) 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 I had a... At the age of 13, I had this prophetic hunch. (laughs) So as they stopped me, they said, we want your backpack. There's nothing valuable in there. We still want it. Where's your wallet? Stick my wallet. Trying to feel if I had anything else in my pockets. Nothing. (laughs) So they wanted to send a message and let me know. We don't appreciate you doing that. So they beat me up pretty good. So I got a bloody mouth, bloody nose, and I make it to the bank. I'm praying. I'm praying this whole time. Oh, God, oh, I'm so sorry, God. God, if you will save me from this one. As it would happen, I'd get to the bank. I pull out the deposit. There it is. Hey, there it is. <laughs> Our staff, like, you're amazing. We love you. We're proud of you. I'm telling you this whole story because when I was in trouble, I would pray. But when things were going good, oh, yeah, who's God again? I wouldn't pray. Until maybe sometime later. Oh, I find myself in a very complicated situation. Yo, let me dial God right now. Hey, God, are you still there? There, there, there. Can I encourage us that we should not just be desperate for God when we're going through difficult times? God is still worthy to be pursued even in good seasons. God is still worthy of our praise when things are actually going well for us. When we've got the promotion, when relationships are peaceful, when life is good and we've got health. We should be desperate not just in difficult times, but in great times. Why? Because God is always worthy to be pursued. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy of our affection and our adoration. Yes, he answers the cries of those in need. Yes. But he also is honored when we worship him, when we feel, listen, when we feel like we don't need him. The reality is we always need him, of course. So someone say, change your attitude. Mark chapter 9, as we conclude, our keyboard will come to help me out. Mark chapter 9, Jesus again, he had gone to Nazareth and the atmosphere had shifted in that place because of their unbelief. He could only do a little. But he continued to travel all over the place. And you can read the different gospels, all these incredible miracles. But he gets to this one place. And as he shows up, his desire is to move mightily upon the entire community. But once again, he rebukes them. And he says, man, you faithless generation. Where's your faith? The words already got out, man. God loves people. He's doing incredible things. But he goes into this place and he rebukes them. And then there's this tragic story, but it's, it's, yet it's so, in some ways, refreshing and encouraging to me personally, and I think to all of us, and that God has compassion for all of us. He understands our lack of faith. He understands when we screw up from time to time. Mark 9, says this, verse 20, so they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth, 
how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father and he replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Can I just remind us, the devil hates you. He, all, he only plays for keeps. He, he uses different baits to distract people, but he hates you because he hates the God that loves you. So this evil spirit had been trying to kill this boy. And it says, since he was a little boy. And then he says, have mercy on us and, and help us. Then he says, if you can't, I don't want to inconvenience the teacher. How long has this been happening? His whole life. Sir, since he was just a little guy, this, this spirit keeps trying to kill him. Can you help us? Can you have mercy on us if you can? <laughs> and I love, I love this because Jesus is like, wait, what? What do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I can? So remember the context again. He goes into this space where the community at large had been rebuked. You faithless generation, where's your faith? Where is the expectancy? Where is the heart of expectation? And the guy even verbalizes, if you can. <laughs> I love Jesus. He keeps it real. He says, anything is possible if a person believes. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. In Portuguese, você crê? Você acredita? Tudo é possível para quem acredita, para quem crê. Come on, somebody. Amém? All the Brazilians are like, Amém. Amen. He says, anything is possible if a person believes. It says, the father instantly cried out, I do believe. I do, I do, I do. I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. There's a struggle. I, I, I do believe. I want to believe. Oh, but I, I lack faith on the regular. That to me is so refreshing. Real talk. Lord, that's my story. There's times when I just kind of, I don't exercise faith. And I, but help my unbelief, God. I do love you. It says that Jesus instantly cast out that, that evil spirit from that kid. He was delivered. He was set free. He was healed. People, again, were amazed. Can I remind us, that's the heart of God for all of us. He understands that we're in a journey. Maybe, maybe you're feeling a little condemnation. The enemy's bombarding your mind saying like, you're not consistent, you don't read enough, you don't pray enough, you don't go to church enough. That's his job description, that's what he does. Our opportunity today is to say, God, I want to change my attitude. God, I want to fully surrender. And I, I'm choosing, God, to make margin. I'm choosing to create a space for you to do what only you can do. God, I'm choosing in my unbelief. Help me. Help me in my unbelief. I'm choosing, God, a fresh start. I'm choosing to press in. And God says, I can work with that. My action steps for all of us, myself included, I, I jotted these th four thoughts down, the posture of prophetic people. Number one, I made it personal. I will prepare myself purposefully for these God moments purposely, not accidentally, intentionally. I, I will purposely position myself, prepare myself through prayer, through fasting, through seeking God. Jeremiah says, and you, and you, will, you will find me if you seek me wholeheartedly. 
as we wholeheartedly press into him, we're gonna find him, we're gonna experience him. Can I encourage, as your pastor here, can I encourage you for this weekend? I know we have these three services. This is the big weekend for us. What if this is your turning point? What if this week you have a God encounter with something shifts and you're never the same again? You might be saying, what a shameless plug. I'm not ashamed at all. I'm plugging it all the way because I believe in it. I believe in what God wants to do. I'm preparing myself. I'm positioning myself. God, I want to hear for you, from you. This week, as I've been praying for our church, and we've got hundreds of people. This is, this is our home church. There are different stories, different situations. Last week, Pastor Elena shared how God woke up at way early on Sunday morning. He woke her up. That means that he woke me up too. Come on, somebody. So she's praying for people. This morning, God woke me up early and names and faces started popping in my mind. I began to pray for you. I began to intercede for you. God, you know their struggles. God, this came out of nowhere. They weren't expecting this setback, but God, you're great. And you're the author. You're the perfecter of their faith. God, you're gonna intervene. And I began to pray. I began to prophesy in my own bedroom for you. Many of you in the first service and now in the second service, I look at different ones of you. God was placing your faces and your names in my heart for me to pray. I'm preparing myself personally, but as a church, we are preparing ourselves collectively for what God has. There's intentionality there. It doesn't happen by accident. Number two, I will press through even when there's obstacles, even when there's resistance, even when there's setbacks, even when there's delays, even when there's disappointments and distractions, discouragement, people. I'm going to press through. Some people mean well, but they're a distraction. Some people care about you from a carnal perspective, but they don't care about your spirit. Some of the words that we allow to just infiltrate our minds and hearts, people might mean well, but they're wrong. They might be sincere, but they're sincerely, sincerely wrong. So we have to press through. We say, God, I'm going to press through even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't get it, even when I don't understand. I'm contending for you. And knowing that as I meet you, as I encounter you, God, I'm going to experience breakthrough in my own life. I think of the woman with the issue of blood. She had, a, she had to press through all these oppositions. It was technically unlawful for her to even be in that mix, let alone go and touch somebody else that was clean and healthy. And as she... She didn't allow that to, to hold her back. And what an example that is to us. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel now. If you're experiencing resistance in your life, one of two things are happening. Either you're walking not righteously before the Lord, so all hell is coming against you. That happens. When we walk in disobedience, ask Brother Jonah, what happens? But sometimes you are walking righteously before God. You're honoring him. The words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart, your, your actions, your deeds, your choices, your, you're doing everything you can to honor him and yet still you're experiencing pain. And yet still you're experiencing delay breakthroughs. Why, you ask? The word of the Lord to you is don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Jesus didn't quit on us. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, the shame, and everything that came with that. He endured it all because he saw you and me on the other side. In this pursuit of God, we have to press in. We have to persevere. Come on, somebody. I'm hoping that faith is being stirred in your spirit. God's not done with us yet. Come on, we're not going to tap out. We're not going to throw in the towel. 
God, you're worthy to be pursued. Even if you don't say a thing, even if you don't do a thing for me, God, you're still deserving and worthy of me pursuing you, the lover of my soul. You've extended my life. You renewed my life. I was dead in my trespasses, but you gave me a new life. I don't live for me. I live for you. I'm going to press through. Come on, somebody needs to shake off that dust today. Somebody needs to shake off discouragement today. Somebody needs to, to shake off those setbacks, those bad opinions, those offenses. Somebody needs to hear me preach today. Somebody needs to shake off those offenses. Choose to forgive and be free. Someone needs to press through offense. Someone needs to press through rejection. Someone needs to press through disillusionment today. Well, I've gone through those prophetic meetings before and nothing happened. Someone's got to press through broken mindsets. Hmm. How do we posture ourselves? We prepare ourselves and then we press through. Number three, we then position ourselves intentionally. God, I position myself intentionally, purposefully, methodically. Think of Zacchaeus who ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree because he couldn't miss this opportunity. I'm not going to miss this Jesus. So position yourself. What does that look like in your context? I'm believing personally as a pastor, I'm believing for certain breakthroughs. I'm, I'm believing it personally for our own family. I'm believing it for our congregation. There are many of your stories. There are many things that I, I'm aware of as your shepherd. We carry these things. I am purposely positioning myself saying, God, I'm believing for intervention. I'm believing for breakthrough. God, I'm going to do my part understanding, believing that you're going to do your part. Are you willing? Then finally, number four, I will respond with the heart of gratitude and faith. Whatever the outcome, I'm thankful. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. I thank you, God, that you don't owe me an explanation. You don't owe me an answer. God, I am grateful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what you've done thus far in my life. I'm thankful for who you are. And with the heart of gratitude, obedience, as Pastor Jason Laird would say, obedience is on us. The outcome is on God. God, I come with the heart of gratitude. I'm going to respond with gratitude and faith. I think of young Mary. Scholars will say she was probably 13, 14 years old. Just very, very young. Young thing. The angel Gabriel comes and says, hey, girl. I got some news. <laughs> he breaks the news. She's going to become pregnant. She's a virgin. And she's going to carry the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Talk about disrupting some plans, changing the schedules. But what about my friend, my buddy, Joe, her fiance? What's he going to think? I love her faith response, and it's credited to her as faith because this is how she responded. After she hears the news, ponders it, and says, let it be unto me according to your word. And God fulfilled his promise. That's the heart. Let it be unto us, God, according to your word. Prophetic people position themselves to respond to the whatevers. Whatever, God, whatever it is that you want, let it be unto me according to your perfect will. Amen. Can I pray for us? Father, even in this moment, Lord, I thank you for faith that is being stirred. 
I thank you that you turn our mourning into dancing and our sorrows into joy. I thank you that you're the God that restores faith. God, I sense that in this moment, you're restoring faith for those that were on fumes, for those that were just discouraged, even depressed. God, I thank you that faith is released. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. For those listening online, watching online, for those in, the, in this space, God, I thank you that faith is being infused. Faith is being uh, 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 released into hearts and minds now. Faith, faith and hope in the name of Jesus. Father, we choose by an act of our own will to create space for you to move in our lives. We choose, God, to get out of the way and we say, have your way. Jesus, we don't want to be like those stubborn people that were offended by you and they dismissed you. God, we embrace your grace. We embrace your spirit. We say, God, have your way in our lives. God, we give you permission to disrupt. We give you permission to undo a few things and we give you permission to shuffle the board, rearrange things in our lives because you're a good God. Your track record is perfect. So we fully surrender to you. We say, have your way in our lives. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. And Father, I thank you that even today, though we walk differently, we leave this place and we leave this service filled with new hope, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with faith. Lord, we position ourselves and we pray and we even prophesy and declare this next week, Lord God, breakthrough is coming. Breakthrough is coming. Deliverance is coming. Breakthrough is coming in the name of Jesus. Breakthrough is coming in the name of Jesus. As we close out every service, my favorite prayer of the week is helping people get right with Jesus. And um, maybe you came today or maybe you're watching online and you haven't been right with God. Maybe one of two things happened. Maybe you've never given him permission to be the designated driver in your life. You've been calling all the shots on your own. You've been your own boss. You're not accountable to anybody except yourself. And you're saying, I can't do this. I need God to take control. Maybe that's your story or maybe a second scenario. Maybe, maybe at some point you did surrender to God, but you've kind of hijacked that wheel. He's your savior, but he hasn't been Lord. And you're saying, I need him. I need him to take control. I need him to drive me where I need to go. I need him to lead me as he chooses. Maybe that's your story. So with eyes wide open, because we don't care what other people think, I'm just going to ask you straight up, who here says, I want to get right with God today? Just wave at me saying, I want to get right with God. Thank you, thank you. I mean, hands all throughout. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. All throughout. Thank you, thank you. Online, this includes you. Throw the little hand emoji saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to fully surrender to him. I want to be obedient to his word. Hands all throughout. Can I invite us all to pray this prayer together? Would you repeat with me? Would you say, Jesus? I open my heart, I invite you in. I surrender fully and completely to you. I repent of my sins, my stubborn ways. I give you complete control. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me your life. I give you now mine, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we tell all of our friends who pray that? Well done. Congratulations. Love you, church. This Friday again, we're going to be here 7 o'clock. I hope to see our entire church here. Pastor David is going to close things out. Love you. Pastor David, let's go.